The difference between consumption and click-through rate is that we're not gating our content. So we're not holding our content hostage in exchange for contact information because of the fact that honestly, if I want your email, I'm just going to go to Zoom Info and find it. For me, there is no value in contact information anymore. And anybody that is running marketing for contact information either hasn't heard of Zoom Info or doesn't know how it works. I get to sit down with Chris Roche, who is the CEO of Catalyst Consulting, another marketing agency. And this conversation gets deep about LinkedIn ads, ads in general, how companies need to be thinking about multi-touch point lead generation. We also get into, you know, personal brand versus company brand conversation. I found this fascinating, this conversation between us and if you are a CMO and you are in the mix of about to or you're in the mix of like you're a CEO and you're building out your marketing funnel you want to listen to this this is an amazing conversation my question for you was look you being in the b2b SaaS space and so forth and with the funding crisis going on and I've been watching it like I love the B2B SaaS space I love technology I love what it can do for productivity like you how is the business sentiment in general in this business like you know I'm looking at all of you that are in this space like super focused going it's a tough environment for those companies it is right now the there is a lot of uncertainty I mean in the market in terms of just the general you know, stock market, nobody knows what's going on. Uh, but in terms of just, you know, venture capital firms, you know, SaaS startups, anything, anyone really in that B2B SaaS space, there's a lot of uncertainty as to what's going to happen in the next year. There's a lot of pipelines that are drying up. There's a lot of knee-jerk reactions being made right now, uh, which is where ultimately, you know, you're seeing things like a ton of layoffs. You're seeing people slash marketing budgets. You're seeing people, in my opinion, just make the wrong decisions. I think what this is going to lead into, and for me, where I see the future of SaaS marketing and and SaaS growth in general really evolving into is more of this fractional employment model where for a lot of these very, very, you know, highly skilled areas of the business, such as, you know, demand generation, such as a, a VP of marketing, you know, chief marketing officer, specifically in the marketing field, there isn't really that need when you're an early stage company to have somebody full time, especially when you consider the overhead associated with that person. I mean, you're talking 150, $250,000 a year on one person, which when you're in that early stage, it's very, very difficult to justify. And what we've seen is a lot of companies when things are going well, they hired like crazy. And you saw it, you know, at the beginning of 2022, everybody could get a 20 to 30% increase in salary just by jumping company. And everybody yeah. was hiring and everybody was moving. Uh, and that for us was honestly, as a, as an agency was a difficult time because everybody wanted to hire that $180,000 market and nobody wanted to work with a fractional CMO because they could, you know, everybody was very bullish. And now what we've seen is, you know, valuations have come down, funding has dried up and really companies are forced to be a little bit more uh, frugal and lean with their, approach to growth. And that's really led into what I think we're going to see in this next 12 to 18 month period, which is this monumental shift to this fractional uh, employment situation where suddenly, you know, staying lean, working with a an agency, working with a specialist, working with a contractor is going to allow you to scale very, very quickly without investing in the overhead, meaning you can shift that back into the budget and ultimately get results from that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
we've definitely seen a lot of people trying to do in-house marketing, right? What I've seen it every time, every SaaS company, what they try and do is they compete with agencies to build their in-house capabilities. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's different, if you think about the thoughts that we've seen also from other thought leaders, as I've come across this, they're saying, they were saying, yeah, that's really good. Like you need to have your in-house team and you need to, you know, go and start building on that. And I think, but where you're sitting in that series A and the um, before pre-seed and all that, like they should not be going and building this mammy, this huge team around them when mm-hmm. they don't even know messaging. They don't. They need expertise, like true experts, rather than training up a team for eighteen months. It's just going to slow down and burn out the cash. Exactly. You have you have kind of two different things that you're fighting against. You have the 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 burn rate of how much you're spending per month and the cost associated with building a team. And let's face it, for uh, any marketing department, you're looking at you know thirty to fifty thousand a month, which is crazy expensive. You know, when you think about results that you can get, then you're investing in things like a demand generation strategy, which is ultimately going to be a long term strategy. So you're not going to get results in the first six months. Then you think about the fact that. You're actually, as a company, most Series A startups aren't profitable. So you've only got 12 to 18 months worth of runway. So suddenly you're making all these decisions and kind of throwing all your eggs in one basket. Six months later, it doesn't work. You lay off your whole marketing department and then you're looking to shift. But quite often you've already kind of spent the resources that you have and suddenly you're in a much worse position. So I think understanding when the right time to build the internal team is something that a lot of founders, specifically CEOs, struggle with because the belief is that by building an internal team, I have the control and I can really have more insight and I have somebody that's a dedicated resources to me. But quite often, you don't need that much attention in those early stages. And that's where, again, you know, we've had tremendous success working with Series A founders where we just say, listen, we can take care of all of this for you. It's a fraction of the cost and we have the expertise. And what we see with one client and when we test something and it works with one client, we're spotting those trends now across multiple clients. So we're learning from other clients that we can now apply to your situation. And you will you will never get that with an in-house marketing team unless that in-house marketer is also consulting on the side, which is a whole different, you know, kind of discussion to get into. But I guess where clients, the reason they still spend more money is because they don't trust agencies, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the core of it. I mean, how many times have I spoken to them saying, you know, I I mean, I like you, Mel, but, you know, I've been burnt so many times and all these promises and so... They'd rather spend more because they trust like, okay, that person that I've hired who's an employee is going to do a better job than me wasting money. And do you know what? When you look back um, and, you know, your your journey, right, your 12 month, is that 12 months now into um, your f- full agency suite or how long has it been Yeah, now? just, over, just okay. over 12 months. So I think what happens, and you would have probably picked this up, when I started agency, you know, like three years ago, the first three, four months, the clients you pick up, I mean, you kind of are testing on them what your hypothesis is to a large extent. Or if you're freelancing before you do your agency, there is a range of clients sometimes you're testing on. And I think at that stage, if you're like kind of charging really low and learning, but 
there's some people getting burnt, but they know they're getting a really good deal and you're being really transparent that I'm testing on you, you're my early stage client. The relationship can be transparent and quite obvious and they don't walk out going, I dealt with a professional agency and this was my experience. But what happens is people come in there and charge these clients like really high fees because they're starting mm-hmm. off and they need that injection of capital to hire their next team and the clients are paying out of their nose and trusting this situation and then they get burnt and all the other agencies after that are now having to do a longer funnel cycle to prove out that they're the ones. Yeah, I just think whenever you're looking at hiring an agency, look at their past results, ask for uh, introduction to clients, look at you know the kind of content that they're producing. Are they drinking their own Kool-Aid? You know, if they're talking about going on podcasts, are they on podcasts, you know, doing that? Like, how are they actually promoting themselves? Because it's very easy to bullshit your way through. And sorry if I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. allowed to swear on this, but it's very easy to kind of bullshit your way through a sales call um, as a, you know, if you're starting off and like, hey, listen, I can charge five grand a month. I could charge 10 grand a month. Like you can get your way through those calls, but actually delivering on those results, ask to talk to a client that's been with them for 12 months. Because again, the retention is where you can see the success. And that's where with us, you know, we're very proud of our retention rate. You know, we have clients that, again, we work with startups. We have clients that have paused contract with us because they're raising money or they they, they want to reduce the ads. And we've had those situations. Mm. But overall, we've had tremendous success with the way that we've been able to communicate and work with clients as an mm. extension of their team. And I think if you go into it with the mentality of how can I ultimately be an extension of their team, that will put you in a strong position rather than this client agency kind of mentality because it leaves you one step removed which to me you're not investing in their success you're investing in your own success absolutely one thing i love about you and your company is your website right i think you've done a sensational job at putting your website together i love the drawings i love how clean how um how clear you were articulating your steps of research, discovery, testing, confirmation, scaling, optimizing. Like it really grabbed me. And it, it tell me about like I guess that's what you would also bring to your clients as well. Is that what you've got going on is something that you would be able to bring to your clients? Is what that's how I judge. Like if I like my if you like my LinkedIn content, yours is probably going to be similar because it's going to have a similar framework or whatever. So that's something for for me that really stood out. Um, with you, tell me about your, you know, proposition to the market. How you became so clear, and how you came up with those designs. Like someone listening on and thinking, you know, I need to rebrand. I need to reposition. What are your tips to getting something that clean and clear that you've got here on CatalystConsulting.com? Yeah, for for me, it was very much, uh, you know, how can I, how can I deliver the message of what I would in a in an introductory call with a potential client how can i do that as simply as possible marketing is is a very noisy space there's a lot of people giving advice there's a lot of good advice and there's also a lot of very bad advice with marketing as well so i wanted to differentiate from typical seo blog post we'll do graphic design you know we'll do whatever else for you you know for, for me with catalyst I came from a sales and marketing background prior to this. So I was a chief revenue officer. I oversaw marketing. I, I have a, you know, a lot of background in running paid ads prior to starting Catalyst. So when I run digital advertising, 
it's always to generate revenue and pipeline. It's not on brand awareness campaigns. We run brand awareness campaigns, but we're always looking to tie it back to revenue as quickly as possible. And that's where, again, when we start in Catalyst, I wanted that to be very clear. We're taking companies that don't know how to scale and we're teaching them how to get predictable, scalable, and repeatable results so that they know if they put a dollar into this machine, they're going to get five out. And then they're going to put $10 in and you can start to scale up from that. And obviously it's not quite as linear as that. Um, that was a very kind of mm -hmm. simple way of looking at it. But I want to teach clients how to be able to do that so that they can ultimately scale their marketing with us. And then we can ultimately have that success with them. So when I was putting together the website, that was all I was thinking is how can I keep this as simple as possible? And how can I show the difference between the way that other marketing agencies are talking about that and the way the unique perspective that I have on digital advertising? Yeah, awesome. So if someone is redoing their website, right, would you recommend that they, okay, they can go with a marketing agency, but say they're they're still like kind of figuring out their messaging and they're doing their discovery because the clearer they are with their messaging, the better and the more damage you can do if they come to you with that being clear. So if they mm -hmm. were like, say, putting together a website and it, it wanted to look as good as yours, for example, would you say to them, like, you really need a good copywriter at the crux of it? Like, is that how you started? Like, if I went down to your process of copy first, you know, you maybe put it together the draft, but then a copywriter comes in and actually goes and gives it a nice fresh and then the designer comes in and you, did you instruct the designer? Like, walk me through the in-depth of the process that you use to develop something, I think, pretty world-class. So it's, it, for me, it was a little different because I didn't at the time have an in-house sales team that I could talk with. I was sales. So mm -hmm. I, I really went from, you know, all right, I'm having conversations with potential clients. I'm testing my own messaging through sales and I'm seeing what's resonating. So if I'm in a position where I'm looking to redo the website, first thing I'm doing is going to go and talk to sales and see if I can get recordings of calls. And I want to have those conversations with account executives, with SDRs, figure out when they're saying certain messages to potential clients, what's peaking the interest? Because those messages, ultimately, I want to use them in all of my marketing, but now I know what's going to hit home the fastest and what really is going to kind of press it until it hurts with potential buyers. And again, this isn't going to be every buyer, but if I can find what my ICP is going to most you know quickly resonate with and highly resonate with, that's the type of topics that I want to have on the website. Once I've got the topics, then I'm going into copy. And again, I'm looking at the way that I can structure this. How can I put these out? You know, there are some people that say, you know, you should be A-B testing, you should be testing all this copy. I think if you have a good conversion rate with it, you can tweak it, but I wouldn't spend too much time with that. And then the last thing that I would focus on is the design because for me yes the design of my website you know again i like it i think it's great it, it's not something that uh, again was there wasn't a tremendous amount put into the design it was more the copy and the messaging that we wanted to put across um so i would focus on that as the last i don't think it's the most important component i think you can have websites with great copy that will convert better than websites with great design and, you know, not great copy. So that's the process that I would go through, but it all stems from talking to your sales reps and your account executives because they know what's resonating. And if you can go and talk to past customers and ask them, you know, why, why did they want to join you? You know, why did they end up, you know, working with you? Currently, I'm actually putting together a, a, a course for to teach digital marketers how to launch their own marketing firm. And I built a landing page for that. And when people submit the form, I ask them, you know, what does success look like for you? 
You know, yeah. if, you're, if you want to sign up for the course, what does success look like? And the answers that I'm getting, the value in each entry, you know, I can now use that, turn that into messaging. I can put that on the landing page because I'm seeing these common traits. And if you can set up that kind of feedback loop ahead of time from redoing the website, your website will will convert phenomenally higher when you actually launch it. I love that. I love the depth of that. Um we started doing that saying, you know, why did you sign up to us on each form? And it was funny because the reason that I saw it was coming across was it they said because of Mel, right? So they were saying because I saw Mel, because of my personal brand. But when you went on my website, there was nothing about me up until recently. It was just like, this is my website. This is my personal brand. So we recently, just as you were saying that, I was just linking up, like we brought in everything to do with me. Like there's a video, like I'm talking to you now yeah. on it, you know, like I'm like, if that's what you want to buy, like we've got to embed that. That's the differentiator for us that you're like, you know, you, you've, you've experienced that somewhere you've, and then you're coming to the website, you're expecting the same thing and you're not getting it. So we will, you know, we weren't catching the conversion because we were just like, oh, this is a different, it was almost a different experience. Like, is this associated with Mel? You know, like, and I was so busy focusing on my personal brand over there. Um, Yeah. There was a disconnect for sure. I must admit, I've had the same thought with mine because again, so much of our traffic is dependent on my personal brand and the content that I put out there. I've had the same thought of, do I need to make this more about me? Uh, But at the same time, as we scale, not every client is going to work with me. Some clients are going to work with other members of my team. Now, again, I'm still very heavily involved, but I, it's that fine balance of growth, you know, compared to, you know, personal brand. And there are, there are pros and cons of both. Um, it's something that, again, I, I've been very much heavily debating for the course. I'll absolutely, that's all me. That's going to be my face everywhere. You know, my family, yes. my life, the RV, you know, everything <laughs> that we've created with Catalyst, trying to teach people how to do that. But for Catalyst, I'm trying to, I'm trying to make it more than just me right now, uh, which is a is a hard hurdle to get over. Yeah, yeah. I I tried to do that for so many years, but now what I've decided is yes, you're going to you're going to experience all of me on the website because at the end of the day, you put what you think is going to convert, what's going to get them in, and then if you trust me, like if you've got that much credibility. I'm going to have the team behind me that makes me, you know, like I'm going to hire exactly like me or I'm going to train them to be exactly like me. Like if you like me, my team's not going to be anything, you know, worse because yes, you, but then, you know, and what you can do, I reckon in like, if you want me, me, like there's a different price package as you scale. And that's what I've seen other agency owners do. Like that's a different level of consulting. That's a totally different service. But, hey, my team is trained by me and they, you know, they're overseen by me. And if you trust me and your brand's big big enough, you're going to think the team's top class. But I think there's a lot of marketing that needs to be done as you transition, don't you think, to get people convinced that the team's A-grade and then you need to focus. Now I'm focusing on the team's personal brand. Like how are we going to revamp all of them? How are we going to consistently get their content out there? It's a whole different world of if – I'm going to pull, like, I want to pull back from just sharing LinkedIn tips and I want to start sharing like what you were saying, like my life of as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, as someone, what am I doing in Bali? What are the opportunities? And just turn into a totally open book about stuff. But then you still need your thought leaders and experts that are then, you know, there and they're going through their journey of become experts and sharing mm-hmm. on those platforms because you're now taking potentially away from the con- that regular content of LinkedIn or whatever it is that you're talking about and turning into more of a personal brand, which is great, I think, 
for the business, but I think then you've got to have your team ready to do the same stuff. Yeah, I think it's a fine balance with trying to encourage your team to to produce content or, you know, do you just hire people that already produce content? You know, for, for me, what, what I found is when a client is working with Catalyst, they are very comfortable transitioning away from me. And I've had the conversations with our clients now. I'm saying, listen, you know, you're getting phenomenal results. I'm currently, you know, meeting with you every two weeks. Yeah. You know, are you comfortable if, if you know, somebody else is meeting with you now? And, and if you have an issue, here's my cell phone. Give me a yeah. call. You know, I'll yeah. answer anytime, day or night. And then yeah. we can go from there. And I found almost transitioning people after the fact has been a lot more uh, easier for me to kind of make that that transition to, to internal team members. However, I don't know how scalable it is. And honestly, you know, it's not something that I think you could do if you had a hundred person agency, but I don't. And I have no interest in getting to that point to be to be quite frank. You know, I, I just I don't I, I've seen I've seen clients, I've seen uh, companies that have scaled to that size. And I think maintaining the uh, the profitability at that point is extremely difficult. I think maintaining clients, trying to compete with smaller agencies becomes very, very difficult. And whereas I still have that agility and ability to make you know changes very, very quickly, when you become this mammoth agency, you're kind of set in your ways and it's very difficult to do that. And you constantly having to be pushed to find new ways to try and, you know, attract new people. Whereas, you know, we've seen a lot of success with, you know, staying agile and having a lean option for teams. I agree. I agree. I mean, I look at, you know, I've, I look at Chris Walker, Gareth, we've all come on the podcast and, you know, all hundred plus teams. Um, I think when I talked to Chris, he must've been a 10 ARR and Gareth was at 35 ARR and all within, you know, this B2B SaaS space. Super fascinating watching. And I think from the bottom of their heart, that's what they desire. And I think if you desire it, you can make it work because you feel, you know, successful in it. But it, I reckon it would be over, it would just be so overwhelming, you know, running an agency with services and imagine that many clients that you, you'd have to have such strong systems to support you. But look at what you're doing and I think what I've seen all of them is go into courses or go into something that's not selling time. And I think mm-hmm. all of us know that that's probably the secret there is if you really, you know, because how many people end up coming in and saying, no, that's too expensive and walking out and they or they just want their team trained, you know, and, and you could just open up a proposition that is right there that's not your time, which is the most valuable thing you've got in this world. And you could offer that. So I think that's the most intelligent way, like what you've just um, said to scale. I think that's the secret. for me, that's that's my big goal for 2023. In 2022, I mean, and to, to be clear, to be clear, I, I want to make sure that you know my, my background prior to starting Catalyst. It's not like I'd, I'd never, I wasn't new into the agency space. Just to be clear, I, I ran a software development firm. We got to three million a year ARR, so I'm very familiar with scaling agencies. Yeah. Um, but I've also grown a team to 25 people, doing three and a half million a year, and. That for me wasn't it. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't have the same level of control. Um, and ultimately I left, you know, to start my own agency to be a smaller, you know, to have more of that uh, consultative approach that I can have with a, you know, a handful of clients that, you know, handpick clients that, you know, come in. I can be very selective now. I love working with the clients that I have. And ultimately the results that we get are phenomenal because of that. And that's really been my goal with kind of starting Catalyst. So when you look at now, you know, getting into 2023, what I've proven out with Catalyst is you can go from zero to a quarter million dollars a year in 12 months. It's not difficult with the marketing agency. And I am not the best marketer on the planet. And I know that. 
So if 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 I'm an, a marketer that sat there thinking, I want to start my own agency, I don't know how to do it. You know, that's why I'm putting together this course to teach people step by step what I did, because if I can do it, anybody can do it. And I was consulting with a, 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 actually a, a marketer today who, again, has their own consulting firm and they're looking at jumping full time into it. Say, I just don't have the confidence to go full time. I don't know how to systematically acquire clients. And I'm sat there and I'm, you know, I've been working with them and I'm explaining exactly how to do that. And now, you know, we're starting to work with each other. And I'm starting to have now more of a hands-on approach with other agency owners where I'm working with them, helping them scale. Because that, again, that's something that I'm very passionate about is helping people scale because some people want to get to hundred, you know, employees. I just, for me, I don't have the <laughs> desire. I've done it to 25. It's not for me. You know, I like having a small team that's lean and mean and effective. And, and that's really my goal. So 2023, you know, the course coming out, it, it's, that's the entire focus of that second revenue stream. And if we, you know, scale massively because of that, great. But like you say, I'm not selling my time anymore. So it gives me a lot more freedom to be able to do what I want to do, which is working with the best clients and ultimately spending time with my wife, traveling with the RV, you know, being able to do what I want and having more financial and time freedom because of that. I hear you. I hear you. Amen to that. Amen to to that. Um I had some questions that I had pre-written um, to make yeah. sure I definitely get into it with you. With um, one of your first thing, I want to know about your content process. So, whoever ends up coming on my show, and if they are a content creator, I always like to get into understanding what's your process. Are you talking to yourself on those videos, like, or is someone else on the other? side um you know your short videos that i'm always seeing on linkedin like what's uh, the process there i've got i've got a great story on producing content <laughs> so if, if you're if you're looking to start content i'll tell you this story and this should inspire you to be able to go out and, and build your own content funnel so i knew for me that podcasts were a way to have the pillar content because ultimately when i come on as a guest as a podcast i am put in the position to be able to answer questions and really be the thought leader you know that's why i, I don't have my own podcast i go on as a guest and i found that i wanted to go on all these podcasts all these marketing podcasts but you know a year ago, 18 months ago, nobody had heard of me. So nobody wanted to have me as a guest. So I would sit there with my podcast like this. And I had this, my, I had my microphone. And actually for many of the videos, you'll notice that this, the actual wire is unplugged. And I would sit there and I would record myself as if I was on a podcast, basically answering the questions that I wanted to talk about. And I would record it and I would edit them up as if I were on a podcast. And then I would share them with people who had podcasts and say, hey, here's a recent interview of me on this podcast. Would you be interested in me having come on yours? And I had like a whole PDF. Here's examples of topics that I talk on. Uh, yeah. And they'd say, yeah, let's have you on. Next thing you know, in the last 12 months, I've been on nearly 50 podcasts. Okay. We have all this content that's being created. I now have cameras behind. I've got lights in the corner. You know, we've got the two angles that'll be coming out. So we've got all of this uh, system that we've now created, but it all started off with me literally sitting here talking to an empty microphone just to be able to create some kind of content. And now when I sit there and I, I do different types of content now, I do the long form podcast. I do YouTube videos where I sit and talk to a camera. They could be five, 10 minutes long. I have the TikTok style ones where I've got the side angles. Mm. We just find that, you know, if we document everything that I'm doing, we can get great content from that. And yeah, you're right. When I'm sitting and talking, I'm just talking to the camera, but 
I have complete confidence doing that because I've been producing content for the last 12 months now where I don't really get nervous doing it anymore and where people write scripts and they have all this thought process out. I have a topic and I just run with it and I'm very comfortable talking on certain topics for a very long period of time in a lot of detail. And I just have that basically muscle now trained to be able to do that. But you only get that by building it over time. Again, it's like going to the gym. You've got to you know, really start building the foundations. And then from there, you can get very, very good at building content. And anyone that wants to start, go out there, do it, test it, record some videos. They're going to be horrendous. If you look back on my TikTok, the first couple of videos, they're awful, but you'll get a good laugh out of them. So go ahead and start doing it. And as you get, as over time, you'll get better and better and your content will increase in the quality as well. No, I love, yeah, exactly. So exactly how I start with my clients that we manage their personal brand is we'll be there at the beginning and we'll ask them questions. So they've got someone like, you know, kind of giving them interaction, but as they go into their, you know, fourth month, six month, they're able to now, they've got that muscle trained. I love what you said. And they're able to go and be like, yeah, just send me the questions. I'll just jump on and record it. And then they become, you know, like really like an animal about it, you know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah let's go like really fast, boom, boom, boom. Cause they're, they're already a thought leader in their space. They don't need, I hate scripting. It makes me nervous, makes me feel like I'm going to get it wrong. I think it's like, if you're talking about thought leadership content, like the style you do, like it's all inside. It's just training that muscle. It is, but and it's the first couple of months. It's pulling the information out because I have that with my clients. We do, uh, we'll do like podcast editing for for my clients because a lot of them with demand generation that leans into that personal brand. So if clients want to, you know, start their own podcast, we'll do all the editing for them. Just to, again, take that off their workload because that's the biggest barrier we see is, you know, hey, I want to start a podcast, but I don't want to do the video editing. So I right, will take care of that for you. And then again, we'll sit down and we'll interview them for the first couple of ones. We'll get them. And then, but yeah, like you say, a couple of months into it, they're just sat there with a microphone. They're having a great time. They send us a 30 minute clip. It's like, all right, we'll knock this out, send that back yeah. to you. And you can just share that as much as you want now. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So that was the second question. Here it is. That was good to learn about that because I was super curious. I wanted to know about, you've got this uh, angle where you say we should focus on consumption of mm-hmm. the video ad. So instead of the CTR, and you have a pretty strong viewpoint on that. So I really want to explore that and reveal that a little bit more for people listening on or watching this segment here. So here I am, I put out an ad, right? My Usually I'm always looking at, okay, CTR, how many people click through? But instead you're saying let's focus on the consumption of that instead. Does that only sort of work in your mind like in video? Because in video we can see the consumption of that. How would that work for like image ads or others? What are you looking for? Like just, you know, the visibility? Because we don't understand how you retain that or how you actually, what was the consumption of that, except for maybe a like or whatever it is. Yeah, I, I would actually back up one step further. So when you're when you're running ads and you're looking at this and, and when we talk about, you know, running ads for consumption or for, for reach or for uh, visibility rather than a click-through rate, we're actually talking about how to educate without leaving the platform. So it's how can we how can we have people on the platform understand our message and feel that they've got value without having to leave the platform. When we talk about click through rates, that's the percentage of people that are going to click onto the landing page. So for instance, you know, an example of something where we might look for click through rates would be like an ebook download or a PDF download. So you run an ad and you say right, right here's a report on 
how to, you know, what marketing agencies are going to do in 2023. Here's a four page, you know, ebook download. Somebody clicks the landing page, 5% of people are going to click and download it. Um, and from there, you know, that's the goal of that ad. The difference between consumption and click-through rate is that we're not gating our content. So we're not holding our content hostage in exchange for contact information because of the fact that honestly, if I want your email, I'm just going to go to Zoom Info and find it. For me, there is no value in contact information anymore. And anybody that is running marketing for contact information either hasn't heard of Zoom Info or doesn't know how it works to, to be you know completely transparent. It just, it doesn't work. If your only goal is to build these lists, just go and build a list. You don't need to run ads to be able to do that. Whereas if you have that, let's say, four-page ebook download, again, top marketing trends for 2023, we'll use for the example. If I take that content and I repurpose that into a video and I sit there and it's a you know recording like this and we said, hey, here's a, the four tips of, you know, marketing content for 2023 and I've run through them, that allows me to educate a much larger percentage of the people that are going to see that ad. So again, that's when we talk about really that consumption. We could also take that same PDF and we could now turn that into a carousel ad. So when you talk about images, we could have top four marketing trends for 2023, trend one, slide one, you know, slide two, trend two, and you could run through like that. And you could look at, again, how many people are clicking through the carousel ad. And obviously you make sure you have the first one stay the same because otherwise the order gets messed up, which I've seen people make that mistake. I've seen big companies make that mistake and it's an expensive mistake to make. Um, so make sure you have that in order. But again, you're focusing on how you can get that message across without leaving the platform for the fact that not only is the is the platform that you're marketing on going to reward you with lower CPMs because Facebook doesn't want to Facebook doesn't want to take people off Facebook. LinkedIn doesn't want to take people off LinkedIn. It's all about retention. So if you can keep people on the platform, that ad is going to have a lower CPM. And then when you look at things like consumption rates, you might have a 75% of people that see your video, watch the video. You might have a completion rate of 12%. Whereas when you look at the click-through rate, maybe you've got a click-through rate of 2% and maybe you've got a conversion rate of 5%. And then from there, maybe 10% of people actually ever read the, the PDF download. So it's a much lower percentage of people that ever get to the point of consuming the information, despite the fact you have their email now. And that's really my opinion on that consumption model. And if you can keep it in platform and focus the ads on that, you can educate a much larger audience, much more cost effectively, which allows your budget to be basically spent in other ways or be able to increase the frequency of what type of content people are consuming. Got it. For your B2B market, I see that you also talk about Facebook ad spend on your um, on your page. A lot of people have the opinion uh, that Facebook is for B2C. You know, that's where it predominantly lives. So what, whereas people say, you know, LinkedIn is where you've got your B2B um, segment and you can really niche in with job titles and so forth. What's your view? And like, you know, how are you then utilizing Facebook to win? Yeah, I, I think there's um, anyone that's saying B2B is only for B2... Sorry, anyone that's saying that uh, Facebook is only for B2C um, doesn't run B2B ads very well for the fact that they just don't understand the power that Facebook has. LinkedIn, yes, there is easier 
demographic targeting. If I want to target CMOs of 50-person companies, SaaS companies, Mm. I can do that very, very simply with LinkedIn. So Mm. as a cold layer, as a cold audience, LinkedIn is phenomenal. However, LinkedIn is more expensive than Facebook. You do get higher higher quality leads or higher quality traffic through LinkedIn. I agree with that. And for, you know, for us with our clients, the initial two platforms we'll set up with a client is typically LinkedIn and Google ads. You know, those are the two very easy, low hanging fruit channels that we can set up. But if you're not setting up retargeting on Facebook, retargeting on YouTube, retargeting on Instagram, if you're not testing different demographic interests and targeting on Facebook to try and see if you can drive cold traffic and and drive awareness in the right channels on Facebook, then you're missing a huge opportunity. And in my opinion, most people that say Facebook doesn't work, it's because they've not cracked the the system with being able to do that. They've not been able to produce a profitable campaign with Facebook. LinkedIn is a lot easier to do that. Yes, for me, better marketers in B2B can go after Facebook and we see tremendous results with our clients on Facebook and we run LinkedIn and Facebook and we run cold traffic on both and we can see that the cost per opportunity and the cost per qualified opportunity quite often on Facebook can be lower than it is on LinkedIn, despite what everybody's telling you. But it really depends on the audience that you're targeting. Your audience has to be on Facebook, just like your audience would have to be on LinkedIn, just like your audience could be on Reddit or Twitter or whatever, wherever that is. Um, you know, they have to be there to be able to target effectively too. But with tools like Clearbit, you know, with tools like uh, enriching that data, you can very, very easily set up those audiences in Facebook and test that as a A-B test versus LinkedIn. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, I've heard the clear bit mentioned a few times as to, you know, cl- cleanse your data through. Do you think that you're saying cold layer as well as your retargeting layer? You're saying it's absolutely stupid if you're not having the retargeting layer, at least on your Facebook, on YouTube, that you, don't, you, you should at least do that. If you can't buy really, I said, top quality leads over there, okay, then but at least have a retargeting layer on those specific platforms. Yeah, absolutely. If you're putting a lot of emphasis onto driving qualified traffic to your websites through Google Ads, through LinkedIn, through organic, you know, through personal brands, through the founders brand, through, you know, organic content on on LinkedIn, whatever that is, if you're driving traffic and you see your, you know, every month your website brand growth metric is increasing and more people are heading to your website, you don't want that to be the last time that people ever hear from the brand you don't want them to drop off afterwards and yes you can set up retargeting on linkedin but when you look at the ability to retarget facebook is so much more cost effective and now you know it's going to the right people so as a retargeting layer that's the low-hanging fruit for facebook for me you know if you have a limited budget and you only want to allocate maybe five ten percent to facebook set up the retargeting layers you can do it with google with with performance max you can do it with youtube you can do it with instagram you know set up those small retargeting layers so that the moment that somebody hits a high intent page on your website and that could be a landing page that could be something you're driving traffic from google ads the moment somebody hits that high intent page they're being constantly served content now uh, on all these different platforms to try and drive a conversion because those are the people that are in buying mode that you can go after very very aggressively talk to me more about low intent and high intent right it's very much there on your website as well and what when someone is actually trying to decide, say a marketer is trying to decide, is this low intent or is this high intent? Like, what is the framework there to decide that you would 
put on them? Yeah, I would look at it from the channel that they came from. So with all of our Google ad accounts that we work with, we set up different uh, different campaigns. Uh, we have you know branded campaigns, we have non-branded high intent, and we might have competitor campaigns. Just you know for to keep it simple, with the high intent, we're looking for people that are typing in uh, marketing attribution software, marketing attribution platform, you know podcast editing software, whatever that is. It's the token modifier of that software platform, uh, whatever you know, kind of other examples of that that shows the high intent. So that's somebody that's actively searching for a solution. Really, when we talk about high intent, we're talking about people who are actively in buying mode. So who wants a solution today? Who is solution aware, but maybe isn't brand aware? Those people who are actively going out going out to try and find something. And not to get too into the weeds with this, but we're finding now that Google and Bing aren't the only ways that people are actually searching for things. Now people are searching on TikTok. Now yes. people are searching on YouTube. So when you talk about this kind of like high intent demand capture, yes. most people just say, oh, Google ads. Yes. That's not true anymore. There are so yes. many other examples of where that demand capture could be. However, it's important to know that at any given time, maybe 2% of your market is most likely in buying mode. And I would bet a large amount of money that right now with the recession, it's less than 2%. It's probably closer to half a percent, 1%, you know, with hiring freezes and with exactly. just purchasing freezing, you know, nobody's making any moves right now. So for the other 99.5%, they're what you would, what you would classify simply as low intent. You know, they're not really interested in buying today. And that's where we lean into more of that demand generation of how can we educate them over the next six to 12 months so that once they're ready to buy, once they're ready to make a purchase, they don't go to Google and type in podcast editing software. They go straight to Riverside. You know, that's the example. It's how you can build that demand early, early on so that they're not searching later on. They already are solution aware and they're brand aware so that then they'll come straight to the website They'll submit a, you know, request a demo, a buy. They'll go straight through the self-service, you know, attribution model, self-service buying process. From that that standpoint, that's how you can target what you would perhaps classify as a low intent, you know, idea of who someone's in the market. Absolutely. Okay, got it. So, yes, there's 2% of people that are doing high intent activities. And yes, you should be right there in front of them if you want to capture that. But really, the reality of the situation is there's not many people really there. You won't get enough volume just relying on that. I'll just capture only the 2%. Like you won't grow exponentially as a company if you just no, focus on that. It's extremely saturated. It, it, you hit a point very, very quickly. And, and again, if you're a Series A SaaS company that's saying, hey, I want to spend 10000 a month. Just put it all in Google Ads. Don't even bother with LinkedIn and other things because mm. you don't need to generate that demand because honestly, you can do pretty well just capturing that 2%. Mm. But if you're a SaaS company that's saying, I want to spend 50,000 or I want to scale to 10 million in the next couple of years, that's when you start to have the long-term investments of generating that demand as well as the short-term benefits of just capturing what's already available. So it's I have clients come to me all the time and say, hey, we only have this, what should we do? Should we do these three platforms? Absolutely not. Stick it on to Google Ads, get some wins, see what's working, and then you start to actually increase the efficiency where suddenly you'll find that whilst 10,000 was good for the first couple of months, you only need 5,000 now to actually get the same results. Now let's take that 5,000 and put that into LinkedIn and see how we can start to educate and warm up basically the entire market or the other segment of the market to be able to go on and ultimately have them come through you know, later on down the pipeline. 
Got it. So if they don't have the full full budget, um, Chris, then and they only have enough to maybe do one platform, how would you work with that in terms of retargeting Facebook? Would you just wait until they've got enough budget to then go in and, you know, play with those play with the channel? Honestly, retargeting on Facebook can be so cost effective. It could be as small as 300 bucks a month. I have a client right now that we're literally spending a couple hundred dollars a month and we're hitting frequencies of six. And I want to increase it so badly because <laughs> I know that we're getting results with it, but we just can't. They just don't have the traffic to be able to do that. It, it's, it's the, you know, we, the video that we're doing has a CPM of like $17. So it's crazy cost effective. It's got great engagement on like the video is mm-hmm. killing it. And we've had, we've had other videos that have gone viral with this client. Mm-hmm. Like it's a really cool product. So it kind of sells itself once you get it in front of people, yeah. uh, but we just can't increase the budget. So it could be literally as small as $500 that you decide to allocate to retargeting on Facebook and Instagram. And you may find even with that, that the frequency is too high. I mean, if you only have 10,000 website visitors a month that are coming to your website, even then you may find that that's too large, but don't be afraid to start off with small budgets and see how that works. Uh, Just be very, very aware of the frequency because the last thing you want is like a 20 frequency where you just absolutely inundate these people because then it gets annoying and then you have kind of the negative effect of retargeting. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a great point um, that you make with the frequency. So anyone listening on, like if you don't know what that, means we're talking about how many times that ad is being placed and there is an actual place where you can click on any platform which shows you that this particular ad has been watched already seven times on average by the same user so we're always as marketers very careful about you know don't do ad fatigue is what we kind of call it where they're just Mm -hmm. seeing the same crap again and again and it just yeah damages your brand so you know if, if your audience is really small you'll actually get to the frequency very quickly so you know when you work with an agency they're constantly looking at that and making sure that they're not that not that you're not getting ad fatigue on your audience so yeah just a quick clarity on that yeah yeah awesome um last final point with christmas coming up uh you made the point and i really agreed with it um use the first two weeks you know uh all your ads and then, you know, take a break because, you know, people are in a relaxed mode. Their mind frame is different. Um, Is there any point or is there anyone that you think should run any kind of ads on that break or would you just say put everything on the first two weeks of December? I think when you're when you're looking at how to market your budget over Christmas, you should accelerate your budget in the first two weeks. The platform, and it's not necessarily an industry, the platform that it doesn't apply to as much as Google ads or Bing ads, anything that's search related, because if people search less, you spend less automatically, you know, in terms of just the way that the platforms work. So I don't think you have to necessarily accelerate the budget on search because on Christmas day, if somebody wants to search for a demand generation agency and they want to submit contact information to my form, I'll take that all day long. It doesn't matter to me when they want to submit the form. So with that high intent stuff, yes, you can leave those ads running in terms of the educational content in terms of LinkedIn ads, Facebook ads. If you have very large budgets that you're running on there, I would definitely dial that back, accelerate in the first two weeks, taper it off over the next two weeks, kind of getting towards Christmas 
For two reasons. First of all, the the competition levels of just getting in front of people's eyes over that period is just very expensive because everybody is trying to get in front of you. I mean, everybody's right now bidding to get on your Instagram newsfeed because everybody's trying to get in front of you before you make those impulse decisions. So you're not competing with just other marketing agents agencies in this example you're competing with you know people that are trying to sell treadmills you're competing Mm -hmm. with people that are trying to sell dog beds you know you name it you're competing (laughs) because people are trying to get in front of your you know it's that time they want to get you know eyeballs on their ads so you have increased competition and then secondary so secondly if you're in a situation where you know you're sat there going well you know our our pipeline i don't think our pipeline is gonna be affected by christmas or q4 you've never worked in sales i don't know if you've ever tried to close a deal between thanksgiving and christmas it's virtually impossible you know i've been in sales for a long time it's the worst two weeks to try and close a deal so when you think about the the why that is is because of the frame of mind that people are in where a lot of people are already checked out ready for christmas right now you know a lot of people you know with with 2022 it's been a great year for a lot of people. There's also been a lot of layoffs. There's been a lot of stress. We're going to a recession. A lot of people just kind of want this year to be over. Um, so yeah. a lot of people are just checked out, honestly. So for me, I would just use that common sense of are people realistically in the right frame of mind to learn more about this you know, $50,000 ACV product that we're trying to sell or this very expensive software solution that we sell to VPs of marketing? Are they really in the frame of mind to learn about it right now? Or are they more likely to come back in the new year with a clear head, you know, a fresh start to the year, ready to really make those decisions? And that to me is my approach. Not everybody agrees with it, but I've also been in sales a long time where I see this time and time again. And I know personally to back off a little bit in terms of when I push people to make sales and I do the same thing with my marketing. Yeah, no, I, I kind of, I kind of really agree with that. And that's why I was kind of like, yeah, but you're right. Maybe Google search and, um, if there is anything, it would be just brand awareness, but you're saying that it's going to cost a lot to have that brand awareness as you compete over just, there for everyone with everyone else. It's it's more expensive. The only thing that I do think is a, is quite a large opportunity is to be posting organically over that time. Because I, I posted recently, actually, before Thanksgiving, talk about how mm. you should basically accelerate two weeks of November and then back yeah. it off over Thanksgiving. And somebody came back and said, well, I get the most engagement on my posts over Thanksgiving. I said, you're missing the point. I'm not talking about organic posting. I posted on Thanksgiving day. Yeah. I scheduled it a week before. I'm not on my phone on Thanksgiving. I'm no yeah. interest in, in doing that. But again, yeah. if you look at even at my scheduling over the you know Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, yeah. Monday, I actually increased the frequency of my own posting organically because I knew people were going to be spending time on their phones. So again, it, it's but it, get, it allowed me to get in front of them organically. So I do think there is the opportunity. I wouldn't stop posting organically. I would just be aware that if you are going to run ads, your cost per thousand impressions is going to increase. I did say it was the last question, but organically, I'll have one more. Organically versus paid, right? So when you're advising clients on that strategy of organic versus paid, what is, you know, what what is it that you're expressing as to how to, divide that time to produce organic to you know ads do you think do you share the belief that you know you do organic first get your crux of your content right and then you should go into ads or do you have a view that go into ads experiment learn really quick um get data you know and then develop your strategy 
it depends on if you're trying to do it yourself or if you're working with a client, uh, like a company like myself. Like if you're going to hire Catalyst to run your paid ads, we don't need to test an experiment, uh, you know, for the first six months to see what's going to work. We know what's going to work. That's why you hire us. So we consult mm-hmm. with you on paid ads, what to, we, we're going to tell you what we want you to create so we can run that and the type of examples of content and the uh, the type of content we want to push out through paid ads. Now, organically, most of the time when I'm advising clients organically, it's personal branded content. It's not a blog post. It's not posting happy Thanksgiving on the company, you know, mm. LinkedIn page. To me, there's just no value in that. Um, I just don't, I don't really align with just that type of marketing. I think it's lazy. Uh, but when we talk about creating like, you know, that personal brand, I would absolutely, I'd be testing messages all the time. And I do that myself. I'll, I'll test certain types of videos. I'll do meme style. Then I'll do more TikTok style. Then I'll test a couple of text posts. And it's, it's the same type of content, but I'm ultimately seeing what format works. I'll test different messages to see how that resonates. So there's a lot of testing that I personally like to do with my personal brand to see what resonates with people. And ultimately, which are then getting attributed back to when people come into our website and say, hey, yeah, I'm interested in working with Catalyst. I saw Chris's LinkedIn post or which LinkedIn post was it? Oh, it's the one, it's a picture of him and his wife and his dog on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Great. Like that's a, it was great that that happened. It wasn't expected, but that was great that mm-hmm. that happened to be the one that brought people in. Um, so you have the ability to test a lot with that specifically in terms of like, should I test organic and then go into paid? The way that I view paid marketing is that it's a way to guarantee the delivery of your best performing organic content. So for instance, as a company, if you have a case study that shows exactly how, you know, you've helped this, this company that's in your ICP, you know, for us, how we've helped this series, a company, you know, go from $3 million a year to $10 million a year in 2022. When we produce that case study, I can run that as a paid ad to my entire market. Because mm-hmm. that allows me to show, you know, the best performing pieces of content. So you can look at paid as a way to guarantee the distribution across your entire ICP of your best performing content. Again, if you look at it more of a way to generate emails, it's not going to work. But if you look at it as a way to guarantee the delivery, that's where your perception on the metrics that you should measure for success will change and ultimately allow you to see, right, I'm pushing this content out. We're getting a ton of engagement from the CMO of all these companies. And we know that they're a good fit and they're in our ICP. So we know it's a matter of time until they now reach out to us, message me on LinkedIn, submit a form on the website, and we start to have those conversations with them. Agreed. But if your organic content is shit... And they come to you and they say, you know, like, here it is. This is what you're dealing with and, you know, go and run it. Would you you say at that point then, look, you've really got to actually ramp up your game as to what you do and how you do it and why you do it so well before we go out to the market and put something on there? Oh, yeah, we won't. (laughs) We won't run shit content for ads it's 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 not gonna you know? perform well it, it's yeah it's pretty simple with that yeah no we won't we won't run those um but if somebody comes to us and says hey i've got a 27 page case study that i want to run as an ad say great the content is there the format and the medium is not so now instead of us running that as a 27 page pdf download where you've got to type in your you know name email social security mm-hmm. number you know mother's made mother's maiden name to get that downloaded to your you know to your email instead of going that approach what if you sat down and you interviewed that client and you asked them these five questions on a zoom call and then from there we'll chop it up for you we'll put meme style on it we'll put subtitles on it and we'll run that as an ad and it's the same content 
only it's now 90 seconds long because our, our editors have chopped this down. We've got rid of all the pauses. So it's not just, you know, wasting time. And we can now run that as an ad. And then we can set up retargeting from those videos and we can start to do other case studies in that kind of format. Most of the time when a client comes to us with really, really bad content or when they haven't run paid ads before or they just don't really know how to do that, the content that they have, the the actual content is there. They have the case studies, they have the interviews, they have uh, the type of messaging that we should be delivering. It's just the distribution sucks. So that's how we can get, you know, how do we take that blog article that you want to push out and you've been trying to get SEO on for the last 18 years and it still hasn't got a single hit? You know, yeah. how do we take that and how do we put that content, which is actually, to be fair, it's pretty decently written and the content is amazingly still you know, applicable. How can we take that and now put this into a paid ad that's ultimately going to drive awareness to your product or service and ultimately start to build that brand affinity? That to me is the key to working with early stage companies that don't have, like you say, an in-house marketing team and they don't have the wherewithal or the really the the capacity to onboard a team like that. Amazing. I've really enjoyed the chat, Chris, and I think so many people will get so much value from CMOs to CEOs um, within your space with outside of B2B. Like we've had such great conversations about how to do it right, how to do ads right, how to think about personal branding, organic, first paid, super cool, um, in-depth conversation. So thank you so much for sharing so openly your thoughts, your frameworks and, you know, how you're producing um, content. And I'm super glad that we've been introduced to each other's network. So I'm looking forward to continuing to connect and share on LinkedIn with each other. Yep. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. You are listening to Innovative Minds.